2: He might have the only original Power Worms in crystal clear Pepsi color left on the planet. Yeah, my dad always accuses me of giving a lure that I know isn't going to work. How many times a season do you hear a client say we're going to need a bigger boat?
3: Uh every day. What kind of weird British solution is Eric envisioning here? Are we going to appoint an otter lord? Good
4: morning, degenerate anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that wants to punch the face of the guy. That bails on a fishing trip and says, guess I made the right call when he finds out that the fishing sucked. I'm Joe Cermelli, and I'm joined today by a dear friend uh, I know feels the same way. My amigo Jimmy Fee of On the Water Magazine
2: is guest hosting today. What's up, Jimmy? What's up, Joe? That is, I feel like, one of the cardinal rules of uh, being a good <laughs> fishing buddy, is not, <laughs> not doing that exact thing. We have we
4: have had that conversation. So he's that guy. He's like, guess I made the right Well, I went, and you didn't. You did not make the right call. Um, anyway, so it's funny because I told listeners they'd be hearing from many frequent bent guests, but with you, I've, I've pretty much lied because you've never been on this show before. So you're like, you're a fresh voice, which means, uh, nobody knows
2: anything about you. So if you had to, I don't know, describe yourself in three words, what would they be? So right now, three words for me and my fishing would definitely be need some sleep. Oh, you doing the thing where you're out all night with the fish and the striped bass. I've been doing, the, the, yeah, and and some weirder <laughs> stuff. I got into some nighttime crabbing last night. That's, nighttime,
4: uh, who does like?
2: You'll like lose sleep to go nighttime crabbing to catch crabs because that's when the crabs are active. That's when my kids are asleep. Is, is really what what that comes down to? You know what that what that's like?
4: <laughs> I do. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so I, but look, all right. So I'm making fun of you for nighttime crabbing, but I'm I'm not nighttime crabbing, and I'm going to make uh, Jim here feel slightly uncomfortable for a sec because he's a humble man. Um, but he is one of the most devoted surf casters I know. I would say elite. Elite is the word I would use. Um, dude, like you've caught more, more huge stripers in the surf than anyone else I know personally. I mean, barring Bob the Garbage Man. <laughs> um, but unlike your average Insta hero, you stay very hush-hush
2: about your surf fishing in particular. I mean, part of that's because I don't get any good pictures uh, of my fish
4: in the surf. <laughs> it's, a post a bit
2: envi- it's a very
4: hard environment. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, but, man, I, yeah, I've always respected that about you so much. And we're also good buddies uh, because we've worked in the same industry for a long time. Like, you're a multi-species, multimedia angler. I guess that's what we are, like myself. Um, you work full-time for a media company, writing, editing, shooting, and hosting videos. So, like, when venting needs to happen about our jobs, about the -the behind-the-scenes stuff that the viewers and readers don't see, I can just text you and you understand. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like two brain, it's like brain surgeons. I can just text, uh, upper motor neurons, am I right? And you're just like, totes, you know? Oh, totes. (laughs) Well played, well played. Uh, so one of the other reasons I wanted to have you on is because, um, I wanted to talk about, loose theme here, FOMO, fear of missing out. And I think it's fair to say that regardless of the fishery, every angler experiences FOMO. But you and I have a very specific
2: kind of FOMO, which is tuna FOMO. Oh, and it's, it's not for tuna. The fishing's been so good for the past few seasons. It's not a fear of missing out. It's a fact of missing out. <laughs> I'm not worried. I'm going to miss out. I know I'm missing out. (laughs) I'm
4: right there with you. I'm right there with you. I mean, and part of the problem, right, is for all the different kinds of fishing we do. It's like the one thing where we're we're reliant on other people. Like you and I don't have the means to just like, well, I'm going to go tuna fishing Saturday. Like
2: it's just one of those things we need somebody else to take us. That's kind of part of the problem. You do. You either have a close friend with a boat, or you have a good a boat yourself. And that's your ticket to the tuna grounds. And if you don't have that, you're always a couple degrees away of uh, having that reliable tuna invite when you know the bite's good. Which leaves yeah. you, Joe, y- you book a trip. You have to book something months <laughs> well, in advance. I'm getting to that, right? Vanessa, you live up on Cape
4: Cod. So you're you're surrounded by saltwater. Um, and like I said, I've never owned a boat big and capable enough to get me to these fish. But I feel like five, six years ago, I don't know about you, but like I had rides out the wazoo. Like, I was turning down this tuna guy to go with that tuna guy. And for a multitude of reasons, that's just changed, right? Boats get sold, people's kids grow up and eat up more time and so on. And I'm not bitter about it, but like you said, it's just it's just facts now. I've just sort of learned to live with it. Um, So I, too, I just try and book a charter with a guide at least once a season. And without fail, that day will be canceled by weather or engine trouble or whatever. I have always had better luck on impromptu tuna trips than planned ones, but th- those are rare anymore. And like you said, you – like. You also
2: can't invite yourself.
4: It's kind of like code. You have to
2: be invited. There's a lot that goes into tuna fishing, not only fueling the boat, which is very expensive because you're running further than you would for your typical inshore trip. The gear itself yeah. is very expensive. It's tough to be like, hey, uh, I'll bring some PB&Js. Can I get on the boat this weekend? <laughs> I got some dill pickle Pringles if I can get in on that. Yeah, exactly. It's It's like the
4: crews are very tight. It tends to be the same guys that run with each other over and over again and either you're in or you're not. But now the big problem that you and I have is we both closely follow some badass tuna charter guides. And every season I'm like I'm going to unfollow these people. And it's not because they're not good dudes, but I just can't take the FOMO. Like I just it gets to a point where I I can't stand looking. And here's a hot tip for everybody, right? Following charter guides is is pretty much a trap. Like if you suffer from any sort of fishing FOMO, you don't follow local guides. Because it's very easy to forget that it's their job
2: to be out there every day. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Yeah, in general, it's not the captains who are out there catching the fish every day. Right. Um, they're the ones, they're putting the clients on the fish, and that comes with its own set of headaches. Uh, I've been on boats with captains who are so, let's call it intense, that they really <laughs> want you to get into the fish, that it's borderline, <laughs> they are yelling. They're yelling, Yeah. and you have to be able oh, to yeah. take some yelling.
4: I, I've, been, I've been yelled at many times, but the point is that like, that guy's getting the, getting the love because he's the captain, but the dude who actually got to reel in that fish that you didn't, for all you know, that was his one a year. Like, that was the trip he booked five months ago, and he got lucky and got the weather. Um, but regardless, at the time of this recording, I've not gotten out for tuna once this season. Um, but, you know, you and I are eyeballing a lot of the same captains because on the water, your magazine covers New England and New Jersey. Um, and I won't hear from you for, for like a month and then, randomly on a Tuesday at 2 p.m., I'll get this text from Jim that's just, Tell me you're getting on this tuna bite, right? You do that, and I sigh and grovel, and I tell you why I'm not. Uh, and then I won't hear from you again for another month. Well, this year's bite was so good mid summer down here. The text was just right to the point, When are you going tuna fishing? And, and my response was, F you, that's when. Like I was so angered by that
2: point in the summer that I hadn't gotten my piece of the action. I felt bad. It felt like I was rubbing it in at that point, which I wasn't. <laughs> I I just I assumed you'd been out there. There were practically there were guys in kayaks catching them off New Jersey. No, there weren't. That's that, not true. That is hundred like percent true. Two guys. Yeah, like two it wasn't people. a thing, but it happened. Guys went out there it looking was... for fluke and caught some bluefin tuna. Well, good for them and the kayak they rode in on. Uh, but and, and you can't com- you can't complain
4: anyway because you you got yours, man. Very recently, like tell us about the giant itch scratcher you just caught.
2: Yeah, so I was out with my friend, Captain Rob Taylor, and he runs Newport Sport Fishing uh, Guide Service, and he also does commercial fishing for giant bluefin tuna. So Mm -hmm. he happened to have a day where he didn't have a charter, he was going out to try to catch a bluefin tuna to sell, was kind enough to invite me out with him, and uh, man, we waited all day in the rain in Cape Cod Bay until we finally got our bite at 5.30, and uh, it was a pretty quick battle, 45 minutes, uh, pretty quick for- That's
4: short, uh, that's short for a tuna that size, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was a uh, a ninety five incher, weighed a five hundred and ten pounds when we uh, brought it. You Oof. know, the, you call up the uh, the truck, they come, they lift it out of the boat, and then that that fish uh, ideally goes to auction and and will probably fly to Japan. It's probably on its way there now. So you didn't get to taste any of that, obviously, because Rob sold it. But
4: that's a that's a different caliber of tuna fishing. That's not the fun run and gun jig and pop stuff. Like, what's that really
2: like? I've never done that. I've never caught a five hundred pound fish. Like you reeled, you like you did it. So much of that. I am just the guy who just cranked the handle on the reel. I was the one not losing the fish. That's that's your lone job as the angler. Rob right. does the it's, the, an, the important it's yeah. an important yeah. job. It's an important job, but it's the the captain that he set the drag. He did all the rigging for it. He's got the boat in the right place, caught the bait. So all and then he's positioning the boat around the fish while you're fighting it. But everything is in place so that. It minimizes the the margin for error. The rod remains in the rod holder. There's a swiveling rod holder with right. the big 130 size Shimano Tiagra reel, which is like the big bucket reel you see in Jaws, just much bolder yeah. and much nicer. And then, <laughs> yeah. then a really long but really strong rod that just – and all that does, it stays right in the rod holder. You're not really holding the rod and feeling the power of that fish. You were just trying to gain line. When that fish is is stopped sure. and turns its head in your direction, sure.
4: but that's all the time you don't see on Wicked tuna. So what I'm asking you is like, how
2: painful is it? They don't really talk about that. Like, is it tortured to reel like that? Uh, yeah, it, it, you start to burn out pretty quickly, especially right. uh, you know I, I'm not not in the best shape, and uh, like your shoulder, your arm starts to burn. And and they do. You see on Wicked tuna a lot of um, let's call it yank and crank, where those guys are grabbing the line, yeah, 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 pulling yeah. it down to get their their uh, crank on the reel. Each captain fishes a different way. Rob fishes a tighter drag than most captains, so he just has the guys cranking the reel. That eliminates another margin for error. Where my first giant I ever hooked that was a couple years ago I was out with another captain and doing that yank and crank style. And the fish went to run and I had a grip on the line and popped the leader right off. So yeah. I didn't let yeah. go in time.
4: Well, good for you. I'm happy for you that you got your big tuna. I'm also hoping to get Rob on this show at some point because you tell me he's quite a character, right? Um, And you know who else is a character? My buddy Conway Bowman out in California. And this is the guy that has pioneered fly fishing for mako sharks, among many other things. And I have FOMO about this, too, because I've never done it. But it's just not quite the same, right, because it's not in my backyard. I just I can't be too upset about something happening on the opposite coast. But if you're a sweetwater angler, you might get upset about one of the answers Conway gives in this week's Covering Water.
1: I'm going in. Cover me, Porkins. I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. Ah! Ah!
4: Joining me today for Covering Water, my old buddy, my old pal, Conway Bowman. San Diego pioneer of fly fishing for mako sharks. What's going on, man? How's life out there in SoCal?
5: Well, it's uh, it's life in SoCal. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, lots of lots of crazy stuff going on. We just had a uh, they tried to recall the governor, and he ah uh, uh, yeah he, he weathered that storm, which is amazing.
2: <laughs> right anyway, so it. we're we're back yeah.
5: to s- square one. But other than that, it's fine. I mean, it it's a uh, it's California, but it's Southern California. So right. It's different, but, uh, yeah. It's different, but it, it's good,
4: you know. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we have to tell everybody what happened. So this is actually take two on covering water with Conway Bowman, because the last time we did this, all I heard in my headphones was the creepiest, eeriest horror movie gong. It's like the, it's like a droning. I think we were channeling the other side, and what was creepier is you couldn't hear this on your end, right? I know it's weird. It was really weird. It. Like it was literally some poltergeist shit. And I recorded a piece so that you guys can hear this. Now Conway couldn't hear it. This is all I could hear.
5: Shit. Yeah, I don't hear that. Let's see. It's a podcast. Yeah, there's nothing else open. Hold hold on. <laughs>
4: So I'm wondering, dude, have you like have this like? Did you do the sage or hire the little poltergeist lady? Have you have you corrected this problem? Have you gotten the demons out of the Bowman residence? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I I
2: I
5: do think this house is haunted though. There's some really (laughs) weird stuff that's been that has happened since we moved in here about six years ago. Just you know, just weird stuff. So it might be haunted. I don't know.
4: But who knows? If 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 somebody listening, somebody techie knows what that was, they'll be like, oh yeah, it was just this. Let me know because even our audio guy Phil was like. I don't know, man. I've never heard anything like that before.
5: It it was weird.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. but... Anyway, man. So beyond beyond uh, you know fly fishing for mako that whole deal. I mean, you've been the host of several TV shows, Ford Outfitters, Fly Fishing the World, Fifty Places to Fly a Fish Before You Die. You've written books. You, you've traveled all over the world to chase fish. And what I also think I know about you is um, you grew up in the in the surf skate scene out there a little yeah. bit, right? There's a little mm-hmm. bit of punk rock in you, and I think I I once saw a picture uh, which I'd love to have by the way to post on Instagram <laughs> to promo this. It's a very young you with like big frosted wavy hair, like super eighties like thrash hair.
5: Yep. That's what I had here. I had, I had quite the, uh, quite the quaff,
4: yeah. Right on, right on. So anyway, dude, here's how, here's how covering water works. So this segment is designed to just look sort of beyond the fishing skills and really get a, a deeper behind the scenes look at who our guests really are. So I'm going to put two minutes on the clock and I'm just going to rapid fire 20 questions at you. We'll get through as many as we can, but the whole idea, right? You don't have much time to think. You just have to answer. And at the end, I will give you one full minute to elaborate or backpedal on whichever answer you think was most damning. (laughs) Okay. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. Here we go. Two minutes on the clock with Conway Bowman. Of all the fish you've targeted, what was the most difficult to catch on fly? Uh, Ty Machir. In Point Break, who were you rooting for, Bodie or Johnny Utah? Johnny Utah. Really? All right. Uh, The worst place you ever had a hook stuck in you was... My back. Ooh, that's okay. How many times a season do you hear a client say we're going to need a bigger boat? Uh, Ugh. Every day. Okay. The most underrated fish in U.S. waters is? The carp. Beautiful. Social distortion or black flag? Black flag. Oh, love it. The oldest piece of tackle you own and still use is? Pfluger medalist 1410 classic classic your favorite line from fast times at ridgemont high is
5: oh uh oh mr hand uh what was it uh, oh
4: god Hola, mr hand no it's no. it's the
5: pizza thing man i i oh god i, I got there's it. so we, there's we, so we, get, many oh my we god get,
4: i got you man okay we're, which on, part? We're, we're on my time our time whatever that thing our was. time right yeah. on right on which part of the mako on the fly process do people screw up most often um the cast really okay yeah uh if you could choose one celebrity to fish with for a day who would it be keith richards nice we share a birthday by the way um so you've targeted tons of species tell me which one is still on your bucket list the mangar the man (laughs) what is a mangar? mangar it's it's a (laughs) a, wait wait, wait, we'll we'll elaborate later because i'm i'm the clock's running out the last concert you attended was Oh my God! Um, uh, English beat. Okay, all right, and last one. What's the most overrated fish in U.S. waters? The largemouth bass. Beautiful. Could not agree more. That's time. <laughs> <laughs> that dude. That was that was great. So I there's there's several ones I think could use some elaboration, but okay. I'm curious to hear which one. We well, only get to pick one. Which one do you want to tell us more about? Uh, it's
5: the. Uh... Johnny Utah or Bodie. Yes. And I, I I mixed them yes. up. Yes. Oh. all the way. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it was Bodie. Oh, yeah, good. I'm sorry. Yeah. I commend
4: it. you for using it. You. you just said that large suck, but you're going to use your time here on Bent to tell us why Bodhi is cooler, and that's why I love you. So go ahead. Uh, Well,
5: he just is. I mean, he 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 was more tan. He looked more like a surfer, although he could. Patrick Swayze was a horrible paddler, by the way. He was a big oh. But he was just... He was just more badass I mean he he uh, skydived he robbed a bank uh, and uh, he was he was the Bodhisattva, bra yeah I mean you know he was Bodhi he controlled his environment it whether he whether it was controlling war child or right um, you know or controlling <laughs> the police so good, officer <laughs> yeah I mean at the end of the movie, You know, that was it. He, he, he did, he did it his way because he was the Bodhisattva brah.
4: Hands down. No bullshit. That is the best elaboration on covering water we've ever had in a year (laughs) and a half. That was the best
2: (laughs) appreciated
4: so much, dude. So people, so people know you are still actively guiding. Like they can still, they probably have to book in advance, but you are still doing the Mako thing on a weekly basis in season, right?
2: Oh
5: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's getting, uh, I mean, it's, this year was probably my busiest year in a long time. Um, and uh, the fishing's great. the fish are big, they're getting bigger. It's the weirdest thing I've yeah. over the last 10 years, I've seen an increase in the size. It's crazy. Um, but yeah um, but if people want to book with me, they got to get ahead of it because you know I've got other stuff going on too. Sure sure. Um, but uh, I would say six months to book with me is wow. Is, yeah, it, it's crazy because there's been kind of this resurgence of of I, I don't know if it's uh, you know anglers wanting to target, a big game fish on the fly ride, but I think they're discovering that they really don't have to fly. Well, number one, COVID pretty much shut, shut everybody down for traveling. So they said, well, let's, let's do the next best thing or let's do a a really good big game fish and let's go to San Diego because it's close, you know? And and so, and that really sort of kind of carved out a whole new clientele for me so and this year has been insane it's been absolutely right on right on
4: well dude i've known you for years i've been saying i'm gonna do this for years i remember the first time i read about it was in field and stream long before i ever worked there and i have not gotten there yet so hopefully the next hopefully the next time i see it'll be on your boat but uh in the meantime man i appreciate you coming out for covering water best elaboration ever boating for the win
0: (laughs) i love it
2: have you ever heard of a mangar, jim I haven't. It sounds like man bear pig from South that, Park. That's, oh, that's exactly what came to mind, was man bear pig.
4: Uh, I looked it up, and it's native to the Tigris and Euphrates River system in Iran, Iraq, Syria, and Turkey. And it, it looks like a mashir, or like a she-fish kind of, big silvery thing. And, dude, I'd, I'd never heard of it before. Um, perhaps I should do a fin clips about those. Uh, But there's a there's a very short mangar Wikipedia page like there's not a whole lot there, though. It it does say that they eat birds. And if they'll eat that, I'm certain they couldn't resist a spin walker from our sponsors, 13 Fishing. Is it a walking bait? Is it a prop bait? It's both, Jim, with the blade uniquely positioned at the belly to create, as 13
2: puts it, a beguiling sputter. How beguiling, Joe?
4: uh it is i also read that the mangar is in trouble probably because the uh party boat fleet in iran is just hammering them constantly but uh let's talk about party boats for a sec you're a big fan of party boat fishing and so am i um and on the water you guys recently launched a new video series called at the rail which i'm super jealous of because finally somebody has gone all in on a media property that just glorifies
2: party boat fishing yeah, there's such a rich culture to party boat fishing that dates back to before World War One, and uh, it's it's still such a vibrant part of the Northeast fishing culture. But you don't see much of it. You don't hear about it much in you know videos and YouTube videos well, and magazines yeah, as much. And, and, and it's all over the country, right? Like it's a big deal here. But I mean, there's party
4: boats on every coast, including the Gulf. And this is the first time I've seen somebody just focus in on that.
2: Yeah, I've been party boat fishing since my first ever saltwater trip. That was the first time I ever got out there on the, you know, I went deep sea fishing on a half day boat out of Seattle uh, City, New Jersey, mm-hmm. and never owning a boat to this point. It's always my way to get out there and do the fishing I wouldn't be able to do on my own. And there's a boat in the Northeast for just about any type of fishing you want to do from back bay fishing for flounder or fluke to going out yeah. to the the canyons and catching tuna.
4: Yeah, yeah. And, and I can tell you, you guys did a great job with it. Uh, our mutual friend and your colleague uh, Anthony DeChichi There's one line in, in your in your Porgy episode, I believe it was. No Haddock episode, when you you said his lucky charm is actually Lucky Charms. It's a it's a Lucky Charms cereal bar, and you were like, "That is the laziest Lucky
2: Charm I have ever seen in my life." Of all the things. It's like he was he's like, I need a superstition and uh oh well that, that makes sense. I need a lucky charm. Well <laughs> he go.
4: Well, party boats though, they can also they can easily fix FOMO, right? Like if they if you can't find a ride, there's always that option. However, uh, you know, like the risk and I think the fun of party boat fishing, of course, is that you don't know who you're fishing with. And I know over the years you and I have both met some characters. Um and and party boat people, they tend to be good salt-of-the-earth people. You seem like you have a thought on that.
2: I've very rarely had an experience where I'm fishing next to or fishing near somebody who uh, I would rather not be fishing near. Everybody's going out there with the same goal. Have a good time. Catch yeah. some fish. It is uh, – you don't run into too many jerks on the party boats.
4: Yeah, I mean, you're right, man. Like, they're always just really good down-home people, kind of like the people Bruce Springsteen sings about. You a Springsteen fan, Jim?
2: Oh, of course, Joe. You couldn't grow up around New Jersey without being a uh, Springsteen fan.
4: Well, that's true. But uh, uh, people think like Born in the USA came in the mail with samples of Tide. That's not true. But yes, there is Jersey pride there. Uh, And wouldn't you know it, someone sent me audio of Bruce at a recent Jersey show. And while he normally rambles about politics and shit at the beginning of his songs, he apparently decided to give a regional party
2: boat report. Oh, wow.
1: Hey now, wondering if you'll take a little trip with me, <laughs> that's right, to a little place called Asbury Park, New Jersey. You know, the big mohawk was fishing about three miles off beautiful Asbury Park yesterday, and they had, ho, hoo, he, ho, keeper fluke. You know, the other day I was talking to my old friend, Tony. That Tony. Tony from Point Pleasant, New Jersey. When Tony's not working at the asbestos factory, he likes to do a little fishing. I mean, heck, who doesn't, right? Tony said he was out on the gambler last week and he caught. Ho! Hey! Ha! Ho! Keeper Black Sea Bass. (laughs) Doesn't that sound tasty? Doesn't it? You know what goes good with black sea bass? Tequila! (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, according to my buddy Lester, there's no hard alcohol allowed on the Sea Queen up here in Brooklyn. I, I know, I know, I know. I feel you. But old Lester said, you know what? I didn't need any liquor. Because I was feeling plenty high after catching... Ho, hoo, he, ho. Keep her This one goes out to Lester and all the boys at the lead taste testing facility in Yonkers. Always remember to tip your mate. Ho, hoo, he, ho.
2: I fished on most of those boats uh, the boss is talking about. It, uh, did you ever bump good. into him
4: out there, Jim? Was he ever no.
2: on board? <laughs> Who knew? Uh,
4: maybe maybe this season. <laughs> well, I know. It sounds – he did a perfect job of describing, like, uh, the, the occupations of several of the people you'll meet on a party boat. I particularly enjoyed the lead taste testing facility guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's move on from trying to win the pool with the biggest fish on the party boat to me trying to win the pool in fish news by catching a bigger, better news story than my co-anchor, Hayden Samick. Fish
2: news. That escalated quickly.
4: So I'm going to do a quick bit of housekeeping here. I, I actually have a message, direct message, from Mr. Miles Nolte uh, to all of you listening. And this is so perfect. <laughs> Hayden's already laughing. This is so perfect because in his farewell episode, Lance V, the great Lance V, pointed out how badly Miles sucks at social media. So, like, if I may, right... Most people know that you don't use your work email to, like, sign up for Pornhub Premium or OnlyFans
3: (laughs) or Cat Toys Monthly or whatever, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't really think about it too much. I should probably uh, call some places. But, yeah, I got you. (laughs) (laughs) Call the places you use your work email for, too, in case you uh, cut and
4: run. Yeah. So Anyway, listen. So, Miles used his freaking meat-eater email to sign up for Instagram. Oh, and no. Now he, yeah, and, and now he doesn't work here anymore, and that email went away. This <laughs> literally happened two days before our farewell show. So now he cannot get into his Instagram account to respond to all your lovely messages and comments and well wishes, and he personally asked me to convey this to you so that nobody thinks he's just like a, a giant dick that's too good to answer, right? <laughs> and I gotta say... There is a possibility that by the time you guys are hearing this, this issue will have been resolved. But at last check in, like things were not looking good. Like he's working on it, but apparently he's like, you know, Instagram is nobody at Instagram is beeping his pager back.
3: Uh, pagers so. are all the rage uh, among among startups. <laughs> oh my god! So hopefully that gets fixed.
4: But but now you all know. There you go. Message conveyed. Hayden, what's going on with you, man? How you living this week? What you been up to?
3: Uh hey, dude. Just been poking around the uh, the old elk woods there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Tis yeah. The season.
4: Yeah. I saw your elk meat hauling adventures on the ground, and that's great and all. <laughs> uh, but we, I, we need to get you away from that. I mean, uh... here at Bent, we'll take a half day of trout and a trip to pizza, wings, steaks, and things over a 14 mile round trip hike. To help a buddy any day, um, but I'm kidding, of course, man. It's cool to see so many of my colleagues out in Montana putting arrows in elk. Uh, very good stuff. I, I know what a challenge that is. Or I mean, so I've read. I couldn't do it, but um, I hope you get yours, man. You feeling good? Are you going to get it done? Well, first
3: off, <laughs> it actually ended up being closer to 25 miles. Oh, there you go. When, when, all, when all To be young. It, oh, dude, it was stupid, brutal, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as soon as we shot those two elk, man, we were like... Yes. And then we were like, mm. oh no. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no that was stupid brutal. Yeah. Well, you know, I, yep. I, I think I'll get it done. It's a lot like uh, it's a lot like musky fishing. Mhm. In you know, the only way to get it done is like sheer volume of effort, you know. Right. Right. Anyhow, we'll see what's up.
4: Right, right on. So how you feeling
3: about your news story this week? Oh, don't worry about me, bro. I got Ooh. this. Uh-huh. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Fish news! Remember, folks, this is a competition, and at the end, Phil, my wonderful, smart, kind, charismatic boss, <laughs> will declare a winner. It's Joe's lead-off
4: this week, so, Joe? Yeah, you had the honors in your inaugural run, but now it's my turn. So, um, let's see, I've got a record fish story this week with a twist, but first I have to ask... Have you any experience catching Benito or false albacore or little Toonie as they're uh, better known from where (laughs) we come from?
3: Yeah, little toony. Nah, you know, I haven't personally. I've heard their riot. Old uh, Tommy R over at Orvis goes off about them on his podcast all the time. Man, he makes them seem fun, dude. Big fan. Yep. Uh, Yeah, but, uh, you know, before I made the move out west, they were like super high on my agenda. Right. Uh, I happen to know you, however do have a lot of experience.
4: Yeah, I love them. I love them. Matter of fact, Albie season is just about to kick off uh, here. Also, matter of fact, this week's guest co-host, Jim Fee, is an Albie slayer, and he sees them even sooner up on Cape Cod than I do in Jersey, so he's already getting his fix. Um, but where I live, these fish have this insane cult following. They only come inshore for a short time. They fight like hell. And, of course, like they're super popular with the salty
3: bro bra fly crowd Bro, bra. What was that?
4: <laughs> <laughs> that clip. <laughs> That, yeah. <laughs> that's that's from a trailer to a documentary called Al or Nothing, which I highly, nice. highly recommend <laughs> everyone looks up on YouTube. And I, I'll just say... Long before any of you ever heard the name Bob the Garbage Man, there was Shane Babcock, the world's greatest false albacore fly fisherman. Anyway, I digress. The point is that in the north, right, these fish are revered, but once you get south of North Carolina, they're, they're pretty much considered junk, like including in the Gulf of Mexico. They're there huh. year-round, and they just tend to get in the way of the stuff guys really want to catch, like tuna and kingfish, stuff like that. Well, late this summer, Alabama angler, I want to say it's, it's probably pronounced Kyle- But there's an extra A in there, so it could also be Kale, K-A-Y-L-E. I'm going to just say Kyle. Kyle Davis signed himself up for the Alabama Deep Sea Fishing Rodeo, which, as I understand it, is a weekend-long event. Now, what Davis wanted to catch were blackfin tuna. And before I even got to the fish part, I was struck by a quote from Davis who said he was 74 miles off in a 21-foot boat. 21 foot boat i mean dude that's some cowboy shit right there
3: boy howdy it is man that's, <laughs> that's,
4: that's a brave dude <laughs> yeah now i i have no idea what he was running but they had to be carrying extra had fuel to. and and yeah and while that while that sounds like crazy to non-cowboy me this is also why i love you southern golf boys i mean that like if you need fresh tuna you'll just strap a drum of diesel <laughs> to a rubber raft and get after it and i i respect that um anyway so davis he found his tuna but mixed in were Bonita, which is very common. They go hand in hand. And I can tell you from experience, we all get crazy on the Instagram here when we land like a five pounder on fly in Montauk. That's nothing in the Gulf. They're really? huge. Oh, dude, they will break a nine weight. Um, and how huge, you might wonder. Well, Davis ended up sticking a Bobo that weighed 22 pounds, four ounces. But that number is technically inaccurate, and I'll get to that, right? So a little twisty here. Okay. Um, are you, you, you with me? You still with me, Hayden? Well, I mean, you're talking
3: to a totally, you know, neophyte in the <laughs> in the bobo uh catching biz. But we yeah, change I'll that.
4: You. I'm pretty aren't you? Aren't you due for a trip home like in the next couple weeks? i will yeah, make it happen. So anyway, Davis said they were keeping some of the Bonita they were catching. Um and as soon as they'd hit the deck, they'd cut them in half because they'd end up right in the freezer back home to use on later trips for bait. Well Uh, The Bonita they were catching were so big, they decided to keep one to weigh in at the rodeo. Now, I said that final weight was technically inaccurate because Davis and crew had stayed out fishing. I'm thinking probably overnight. So it didn't hit the rodeo scale until 36 hours after it was caught, which means it likely weighed more than 22 pounds, four ounces. But even after losing some water weight. It still qualified for an Alabama state record, beating the 21-pound record that had stood since 1956. So here's the fun part. It took the rodeo people a little time to figure out that this was a state record. And when they did, they immediately got in touch with Davis and said, hey, we're going to need that fish. And he was like, hey, I already cut it in half (laughs) and threw threw it in the bait freezer, right? So luckily— He had enough photographic evidence that the fish will still qualify. But here's what I think is funny. While I'm sure Davis thinks it's cool to claim the record, he wasn't treating that fish any different than uh, the thousands of other Bonita he's probably whacked up over the years for bait. And I can almost guarantee between 1956 and 2021, many, many, many Bonita bigger than 21 pounds have been caught, but none of the people that caught them down in the Gulf off Alabama gave enough of a shit about them to think or care about claiming a state record,
3: you know what I mean? Okay, so I kind of love and hate this uh, for two reasons. Yeah, first off, I love that this dude is cutting up state record fish for bait.
4: It's actually actually happened before. There have been stories of people like eating world records and shit.
3: Oh yeah, so, I mean, yeah, y- yeah. Y- you hear about them, but yeah, somehow. And I don't know why it just makes me happy. I guess it's, I guess it's because like in this era of like line class record goofballs trying to turn right. like anything into a record to have their name in the book somewhere. Yeah, I'm with like you. this speaks to like a a sort of like pure form of pursuit. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, well, yeah, I caught this thing, but I'm trying to catch this thing, so this thing is now bait, regardless of its you know sure. status. Yeah. yeah. That said, I kind of hate it because it's just like the trash fish thing, you know? Yeah. False albies, not that I know a lot about them, are cool. Like, they Mm -hmm. look cool. They fight hard. They burn drags. But everyone has collectively decided for some reason that they're just like, eh, you know? Right, right. Now, I kind of got a theory about that. I have found that with like some exceptions, like tarpon, for instance, a lot of fish are labeled trash fish. Because of like perceived edibility, sure. Uh, do they do they just like taste shitty or?
4: Well, yeah, and it's a, it's a fair question, and I think a lot of the the um, lack of table fare opportunity with with albies um, has created that that vibe you're talking about. And and I got to be real honest, I've never eaten one. I've hacked up a lot of them, and I I can tell you, compared to like a skipjack tuna or some of the other lesser tunas, man. Like, that meat is so red, it's almost black. And you can just sort of smell the oiliness, sort of mackerel uh, scent that these fish have, which is why they're such great bait. That said, every once in a blue moon, you'll see a piece of media pop up where, like, somebody claims that we're all crazy and they make, like, the best sashimi ever. Really? And I haven't tried it. But, you know, you, you'll see a video pop up or a catch and cook where somebody's like, oh, if you bleed him and you do this, it's the best ever. But, man, I feel like if that were true, more people would have caught on to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you yeah. just don't. It's just not working. And like skipjacks, they're kind of like subpar, but they're way better than a false abacore. If I catch skippies, I'll keep some if we're, you know. But I don't know, man. I, I just think that's, that's what it is. They just are such a strong flavored fish.
3: Yeah. I mean, that would be difficult for me. You know, I'm I'm a huge sushi guy, man. I'll I'll eat sushi and sashimi until it comes out my eyeballs. But I am not a fan of like oily fish, like mackerel, like totally turns me off.
4: Right, right. We're going to explore a lot more of that. when the new season of B-Side drops with uh, our first episode, oily fish is kind of like the deal. But um, I would try it I should I should just to say that I did it maybe this season I'll uh, I'll bleed one out and just and just see
3: dude well when I come down there and we go I'll be fishing let's do it
4: <laughs> you can eat all you want
3: <laughs> all right <laughs>
0: For all things auto, do it yourself, and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find... Into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids
3: Yeah, there's... Come on down. uh,
4: Tom's all-you-can-eat fish
3: buffet. (laughs) (laughs) My story comes from the otter side of the pond in the UK. How do you like that? I
4: I have to... (laughs) (laughs) I don't like it, but I can't not like it because I appreciate you trying to spin these... It's it's great, actually. I love it. Forget I just said that. It's terrific. You just keep being you.
3: (laughs) So... A UK couple is what I can only describe as deeply, deeply disturbed over recent developments in their backyard pond. Uh, Eric and Linda McKenzie have recently discovered that something had invaded their pond and has just been absolutely destroying the prized fish that they stocked like some 15 years ago. Oh, I can already guess what the prized fish are, but I will let you continue. Basically, during their uh, daily stroll around the fishing grounds or whatever British folks call a walk around a pond, uh, they kept finding carcasses of these prized fish. So I I guess they had like a buddy with a trail cam or something because Mm -hmm. they slapped one up and immediately found out what was killing their fish. Any guesses?
4: I'm going to say otter. Oh, I made on the on otter a, pun. On a, yeah, see, you already forgot that you
3: made the otter pun. So It was indeed know. a big-ass otter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they figured that the otter has murked like 10 fish worth an estimated 5,000 pounds, which is, I don't know the exact conversion rate, but that's a shit ton of American dollars.
4: <laughs> I was going to say, I'll take your word for it because I don't know math or currency either. Um I, I know enough about British fishing culture to to understand the way things work there so i mm-hmm. I know where we're going um and I, I know that that certain things that we, we we wouldn't pay a shiny nickel for are worth that kind of money there so continue on let's
3: hear what they lost uh for five thousand pounds well i I'll get to that but to continue the story these folks are like are pissed they're they're like really really pissed and you know how a lot of times like the madder folks get, the dumber they get? Oh absolutely.
4: Absolutely. Anger just like completely shuts down your brain function.
3: Yes. Yeah. Well well, Mr. McKenzie said, and I quote, We would like to see some restriction on their breeding before the fish stock in our rivers is depleted. Meaning Hold on. So wait, he's talking about <laughs> wild
4: rivers, but the problem here happened in his private pond.
3: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's obviously reductionist. This guy is clearly taking a personal problem existing right. in an artificial environment that he created, right, and applying his experience to the entirety of the UK, which right. to be fair is also mostly an artificial environment. <laughs> <laughs> we
4: have some listeners across the pond man that are like still trying to figure out if they like you or not. You got to be ah, careful. Whatever. Although I I'm I'm going to make fun of him later in this show too. So, sorry.
3: <laughs> I'm a big fan of your chalk streams.
4: Anyhow, uh, <laughs> I just wish I was allowed to fish some and had the money to do
3: so yo, if I yo, showed yo. up there. Yeah. Only bamboo. The uh yeah. anyhow, uh, <laughs> I'm a big when fan I read back
4: chalk streams.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry, guy. Anyhow, when I read that quote, my first thought was that there was like some organization that was like doing some vigilante Uh, reintroduction type stuff with these otters. You know, maybe breeding them and dumping these captive bred otters into the river. Uh, That's not the case. In the research I did, Eric specifically mentioned a UK conservation organization called the Otter Trust. So I checked out their website thinking that I was going to see something about a breeding program. Right. Um, And there is absolutely no mention of a breeding program. And in further research, the only thing that I could really find was that uh, there was a 10-year period from, like, the mid-80s to the mid-90s where about 200 individual otters were released at a time when there were very, very few otters. So it's not like we're dumping thousands of otters into, like, UK waters. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, all that's to say that there's no vigilante uh, otter reintroduction going on.
2: Like a vigilante! He's like a vigilante uh, cat!
3: It's a cat who's a vigilante. It's a cat who is a vigilante. I got that, Gordon. Okay. And that means, or at least it sounds like, the Mackenzie's are somehow suggesting that we limit the otter's ability to breed in the wild.
4: <laughs> yeah, man. So yeah, it's 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 just a case of two people like going. All that wild stuff that's happening
3: out there, we need to do something about that immediately. <laughs> yeah, because. I like the stuff that I got going on in my pond. Um, now, I have no idea how they'd go about limiting, like, you know, the otters breeding in the wild. But if they do start some sort of anti-otter, anti-breeding coalition, I'd like to formally suggest the slogan, no more f-ing otters. <laughs> we'll make sure to that right right along with my f-
4: dolphins t-shirt it's sort of the same thing you know what I mean like we we have been having a lot of fun with the dolphins but same deal man I mean unfortunately this happens too often where you know you see this with like it's kind of like where I live and where you're from like people like think the deer are pets and things and anything we can Mm -hmm. do to protect the deer from this or that you know shutting down bear hunts to protect this and protect that it's like you just can't meddle that far with the wild man, like so, and I like no, wh- who even has the time to suggest all these things or write to whoever they have to write to, expecting people to what jump up and start what trapping otters or even caring or looking again, similar to snakeheads, they're everywhere now. And like every once in a while, some one will pop up at a new place, and people like call DEP, like get down here right now. And it's like, <laughs> dude, they're not gonna like, they're not the ghostbusters, you know, what I mean, they're not just yeah. gonna swoop in and like set up the trap, like for Slimer, you know. So it's, it's just lunacy. Like you said, people get dumb when they're mad.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess you got to give the British folks points for consistency because this is like the most (laughs) hilariously colonialist solution (laughs) to a native species living the way it has forever. Yes. You know? Yes. For millennia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh (laughs) And, and, and I have one more quote that's just kind of unbelievable. So for folks who supposedly love nature, as is mentioned Many times in the articles I've found about this prized fish massacre, I can't imagine two folks being more out of touch with reality. Uh, Eric McKenzie says, and I quote, we enjoy our walks around the surrounding countryside and seeing the local wildlife, but feel strongly that more should be done to control these animals and take responsibility for their actions. Like, Joe, (laughs) what does that even mean? I I really want to know, like, what kind of weird British solution Eric is envisioning here. Are we going to appoint an otter lord? If that paid well, I'd go
4: over there and be the otter lord. You know what I mean? Try something different for a little while.
3: (laughs) I don't think it'd pay very good.
4: It might get you on the chalk streams, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe that's a
3: perk of the job, you know? It could. Uh, Now, I'm sure you've noticed uh, I've been referring to the otter victims as prized fish. Uh, Joe, ask me what kind of fish these are.
4: I'm just going to guess. I'm going to say they're carp because I know there are about some carp over there.
3: They are
4: grass carp. Grass carp. That's mm-hmm. interesting to me. I see now, again, I'm not super fluent in the, in the entirety of the carp scene there, but mostly what you see and what I know guys will spend big bucks on are the mirrors and the commons yeah. and the ones with the long fan tails. I didn't even know grass carp was a thing over there. I'm wondering if they're native or invasive, do you
3: know? Oh, they are invasive for sure. Really? Uh, the, yeah, kind of the interesting thing about it is um uh, there is, I believe, a small, you know, population that can breed in mm-hmm. the wild mm-hmm. uh, because of water temperatures, but for the most part when you find grass carp in the UK, they're effectively sterile because the water temperature never gets to the point that they're able to spawn. Gotcha. They're not even native in the UK, which I think kind of falls in line a little bit with the char uh, story we discussed last week. Sure. With native species, although obviously these aren't fish, they're otters, um, being extirpated in favor of imported and exotic species. Uh, Somehow, like, you know, people equate a better fishing opportunity to a better environment and... I just don't think that that's true.
4: Uh, No, you're right, man. Like Imported grass carp should not win out over cute, playful otters. Uh, I agree. Very similar to the char deal. Uh, Phil, what do you feel like today? What kind of uh, sashimi? Grass carp or false albacore? Uh, I'm not (laughs) sure. I I would actually probably venture to guess that the grass carp might end up being better. Um, But that was a fun one. We're going to hear from Phil. He's going to judge us. Okay, he's going to lay down the law and then as soon as we're done, we're actually going to do our first ever official nibbles and sips segment because I've asked for voice recordings from you guys. And boy, are you delivering?
2: Sorry, Hayden, but I've got to give it to the Otter podcast host until you stop making these shitty puns. Joe Cermelli, you're the winner. (laughs) Listen. All three of us can play music, and I'll be damned if our band name isn't going to be Vigilante Otter Reintroduction. Catch us on the bent Spotify playlist, and probably nowhere else.
1: I just call to say...
2: It is a new era of
0: loneliness. Oh, God.
4: So, Jim, I recently put out the call for our listeners to send me voice memos for a fresh segment I'm calling Nibbles and Sips and our audio engineer Phil he doesn't care for the name but that's too bad um, but but I told people you could send a comment question rant rave uh, these things could be done drunk or sober anything goes and I've been getting some response
2: yeah Nibbles and Sips reminds me of what uh, another one of our mutual friends uh, Crazy Alberto Nee, used to say when he, he would describe how the trout were feeding and he would call them uh, kisses and slaps <laughs> That just
4: reminds me that I got to get Alberto Knee on the show. Uh, Kisses and slaps. It could have gone either way, but I'm sticking with nibbles and sips. So anyway, so last week, my my inaugural nibble and sip uh, was a fan telling me I mispronounced some hockey shit. So this week, we have actually a very fun question from listener Noah Dodson. Here it is.
3: Hey, guys. So my question is, I do a lot of fishing with my dad. We go to a local lake for... A lot of largemouth and smallmouth small mouth bass. Well, my dad's about 71 years old, and the only bait he will use is soft plastic worms, most time in colors that the companies don't even make anymore. He uses these along with copious amounts of what he calls monkey pee. What can I do to convince him
0: to diversify his bait pile?
2: There is so much to say about this. Where do we start? Yeah, so I've never heard of that particular uh, fish attractant, uh, monkey. Monkey pee? pee? You're referring no. to
4: the monkey pee? Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so I was taken aback by the monkey pee. Uh, i never heard of it either. Um, now we we were both accurate in assuming that it is in fact a scent attractant. Uh, but I was I was thinking it's got to be homemade, like some backwoods homebrew or something. But I, I followed up because I had to know. According to Noah, monkey pee smells like garlic. And his pops puts it on on every bait. And it is not homemade. He bought it many, many years ago, which makes me wonder, did he buy it by the case? Or does he just not fish that often? Because how long can a bottle or two from the 80s or whenever last if he
2: literally puts it on every bait? No, now that you describe it like that, it reminds me of the old... Uh... There used to be aerosol cans of fish spray. Do you remember those? And they would smell like garlic.
4: Oh god! They would always blow up eventually. Like if you oh, left yeah. them in a. Oh my god! That you're right. I don't remember what they were called. Bang. But, but, is that what they were called? Bang. I think it was bang. Yep. There were all kinds of things like that. There were the aerosol cans, and they would always ooze if you left them in your tackle box. Yeah. And then uh, only the the hardcore salty you guys are going to remember this. But do you remember the the freaking bait bombs? It was like a grenade, an aerosol grenade that you would shake and like pull the pin and drop down on a line to depth. And it would just blow up in the middle of the water column and create like a
2: huge cloud of bunker or mackerel oil. I must've missed that one. That does not ring a bell. That's oh, crazy.
4: God, dude, you wouldn't have missed it. If you were there when one blew up in the Cuddy cabin of my old pursuit, <laughs> just because it was overheated. I forget. It gets rather hot down there in the summertime. And like, I didn't even remember it was in there. Um, and, and it was a, it was a bad, bad deal. Anyway, I would love to know the specifics um of Noah's dad's arsenal because he, once again if you can if you can really lean on discontinued baits and colors these worms he says he's using mostly discontinued stuff if you can do that for years and years you got to have one hell of a stash um and it, i don't know could also be worth a lot of money like he might have the only original power worms in crystal clear pepsi
2: color left on the planet oh that's a that's a collectible item right there I love Crystal Pepsi. You st- <laughs> did you love the real Crystal Pepsi? I thought it was gross. They brought it back a couple years ago, and I went on a mission to find it. I finally found it at a Walmart get out two towns here. over. I absolutely did, you did. Really? I did. I did. It tasted terrible. It was horrible. Well, so uh, did, yeah, that and, <laughs> that and Pepsi Kona. Did you go looking for that? Were you? Pepsi Kona was fan? awful. That was really bad. Yeah, I remember
4: Pepsi Kona. Crystal Clear for the win. But I think to get to the root of the question, though, uh, Noah, let me tell you a story about my dad, who is about the same age as your dad. Like, I'll take him smallmouth fishing, and I'll be catching fish on, I, we'll just say, a new-age jerk bait, and I'll give the man the same jerkbait, but he doesn't feel like jerking it as hard as I am. He just wants to sit and relax, and I used to get frustrated, and now I say, you know what, man? Like, here's an inline spinner, just cast and reel, and on days when his gooch level isn't turned up
2: to full blast, he does just fine that way, and he's happy. Like, he doesn't need to be the next KVD. Yeah, my dad always accuses me of giving a lure that I know n- isn't going to work. Like he he says that oh, this really? is a lure. Oh, really? Oh yeah, he he thinks I'm giving him one that I'm not worried about losing. So, uh <laughs> Are you? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, did you got a whole arsenal of like nicely turned wood and special striper stuff and will you give him like the beat up bucktail? Yeah, he's getting the old bomber, not the $30 uh, needlefish. Um... Uh, <laughs> But no, I know plenty of people like that where they – I'm I'm one of the people like that. Take the Cape Cod Canal, for example, which is just at the road from me. You have these newer paddle tail swim baits that everybody uses. I would much rather throw a bucktail. And I will watch all the people around me, catch the fish on the paddle tail swim baits, and I will – at a certain point after like three fish – it's too late to change. After watching people right. catch three fish, you can't change. Now you've got to prove a point. You got to be like, "Well, this is just yeah. as good." <laughs> if I change <laughs> after the first one, it's okay. But after three, I'm like, "Oh no, now I'm <laughs> now I'm riding this one." Yeah, man. Like at that point, you've just got to stick to your guns.
4: Like I I I, t- I totally get what you're saying. Um, but I I think another point here is like, why you got to change the man's program at seventy two years old? Like, if he wants to fish the old stuff, like, Noah, just let him. Just let him do it. Like, he doesn't need to diversify his bait pile, which I found to be an, a weird term. It's like financial or something, isn't it? Like <laughs> diversify your bait pile. Um, and, I mean, if he's catching fish, right – even more reason to just leave the man alone. Like, I've found over the years that if someone is receptive to learning what I have to teach, like they're excited about it, I really enjoy that. I would rather see them catch the fish than me catch the fish. But if they're not, I just stop being concerned about that person and focus back up on me catching fish. Like,
2: you lost your chance. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, I'm perfectly content using the the lure that's catching. I don't need you to use it, too. So. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's
4: my lore. Uh, anyway, no, that was a really fun question, man. I do appreciate it. Um, I guess if you still insist on on modernizing your old man, you could throw all his shit out and replace it with spy baits and, and topwater bats or something. He'd love a I'm sure He'd love a good topwater bat lore, perhaps a topwater snake. Um, by the way, Noah just got himself some swag for that. And you can, too, if you record a voice memo and it ends up being played on this show. Surprise me. And you can send those to bent at the meat eater dot com or uh, you can send them via DM to my Instagram account. Either way, tell me something. So we are just about out of time here, but I've actually got a fitting end of the line segment this week. It sort of ties back to Noah's question. Um because it's a great example of a lore that has it's got many alternatives, but the OG striper guys want the OG version. So Jim, you're a striper guy of the highest caliber, but without giving away the name of the lore. If I said Sandeel teaser invented in England, would you know what I was talking about?
2: I would know exactly what you're talking about. It's going to be a pretty heavy duty resistant to bluefish teeth. Perfect imitation of a sand eel. Nice kicking mm-hmm. tail. It mm-hmm. is definitely this one, unless it's the other one. <laughs> well, let's find out.
1: Uh, fishy, 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 fishy. That's
2: well, not loud enough, Bert.
4: Here's a short list of destinations that salty anglers dream of visiting. Vanuatu in the South Pacific. The Great Barrier Reef. The Seychelles. Hawaii. Cabo San Lucas, Belize, the Florida Keys. Now, in case you missed it, what did not make that list was England. I mean, they saltwater fish over there, right? But when I think of coastal fishing in England, I kind of think, man, it would suck to be a salty guy in England. They chase like conger eels and dogfish pollock or haddock or something i mean basically their a-list species are all the shit we shake off the line over here in the northeast now that said one might assume that there couldn't possibly be some brit made lore that's better or more original than what us salty americans came up with but that's wrong Redgill gill lores ever heard of the company If you don't chase straight bass on the beaches of the Northeast, strong chance you haven't. But redgill is to England what companies like Arbogast and Smithwick were to the U.S. Redgill started in 1950 in the Cornish fishing village of Mavagissi in southwest England. Now, the original redgill lure was designed by Alex Ingram, and it was actually way ahead of its time. The redgill mimics a sand eel, which is a common baitfish species found in the North and Middle Atlantic. Pretty much every inshore species that lives where sand eels lives eats them. Starting from the back, the redgill actually has a paddle tail, which wouldn't become common on other lures for many, many years. That paddle tapers into the rest of the tail, which is ribbon thin until it meets the belly of the lure. The body widens out and finishes at a tapered, very anatomically correct sand eel head. But here's what else made the lure so unique. It's not really a soft plastic. Redgills are more rigid, made from what feels more like vinyl, yet despite that rigidity, the taper still allows that thin paddle tail to kick and flutter. Redgills also have a hollow channel that runs from the nose to the belly. In a way, it's designed kind of like a tube fly. You wouldn't put a red gill on a jig head. Instead, you'd thread your line through the bait. Tie the hook to the tag end, then draw the line back through the nose until that hook seats perfectly in the red gill's belly. Now, we got sand eels over here too, and during the fall, their inshore migration often collides with the fall striper migration. To mimic this forage, there are plenty of sand eel imitations on the market, but back in the day, the only option old-timey surfcasters really had were slim metal lures and plugs. But sand eels, can be very small. And to steal a phrase from the fly crowd, matching the hatch precisely can be really important. But delivering something the true size of a small sand eel 50 feet out past the waves, that's pretty challenging. At some point in history, likely in the 50s or 60s, smart surfcasters realized that a red gill could be rigged ahead of their metal lures and plugs as a teaser via a dropper loop on their leader. The primary lure now provided the oomph for a proper distance cast but the red gill matched that hatch and because red gills weigh pretty much nothing they also didn't affect the action of the main lure essentially allowing anglers to present a buffet of forage size options in a single retrieve that rigid construction also made red gills extremely durable and able to withstand season after season of abuse thanks to the internet red gills are a bit easier to get a hold of today but for many years they were not Select shops on the Striper coast carried them, but they were a bit of a secret weapon, kind of a hot commodity. I ended up with a handful in the early 2000s because the magazine I was working for was running a piece about vintage Striper lures and had them shipped straight across the pond to us. And I still have most of them. They're tattered and scraped up. But in my opinion, Redgills are still the best eel teaser you can use. Now, there are plenty of US-made knockoffs, and other options, but none I trust more than the original redgill. And believe me, there are days when your teaser is more important and catches a lot more fish than your primary lure. Also, I love you, England, and I was just kidding earlier. One of these days, I'll pop over for a pint and to catch some of your conger eels and dogfish. So that's it for this week. Remember, if your dad wants to dribble monkey piss all over his helicopter lures, just let him. The British invasion of Striper lures only included one bait and therefore was a very small invasion. Springsteen probably hogs the back corner of the party boat, and Jim Fee will just outfish him from the front. I don't know about that. I, I'll- I might outsing him. <laughs> I'd love to see it either way outsing him or outfish him. Huge thanks to you, Jim, for co hosting this week. Um, you can find him on the gram. You should. He's at James TV. And go watch On the Waters at the Rail if you love the party boat scene. Also, if you want to hire Bruce Springsteen or Ray Liotta to do your fishing reports, you need to check out at on Instagram. Keep all those sailbin items, awkward moments, voice memos, all the stuff I usually ask for, uh, just coming to bent at the Keep using those degenerate angler and bent podcast hashtags. And finally, don't forget that the easiest way to cure FOMO is to just never look at social media or listen to fishing podcasts.